0: I guess that's one of the things that I feel like I've been trying to reconciliate the last, I would say, decades. To try to be a good person, but, but, uh, but understand that fallible um, like most are. I feel like I, I'm conscious about that uh, imbalance and, and um, I'm actually okay with the imbalance uh, nowadays.
1: <laughs> if you've ever been surprised by your own thoughts, well, you're not alone. From the time we're born to the time we die, We spend our lives meeting strangers, including the one within. We also spend our lives learning about many of those strangers and turning them into colleagues, friends, and family. In this podcast, host Charlie Bressler talks with fascinating people on their musings about family, community, work, helping others, and getting to know the stranger inside ourselves. Where do we fit in the world we all inhabit together? Charlie Bressler, the co-founder of The Life You Can Save and former president of a large international retail company, investigates ideas that he has been musing on since he obtained his Ph.D. in clinical and social psychology way back in
0: 1984.
2: Welcome to Musings About Ourselves and Other Strangers. Today I am privileged to be musing with the Swedish folk singer Jose Gonzalez. In our interview, Jose said, I was a teenager when I started writing my first lyrics. At the time, I was learning to play through Latin American artists, but I was thinking I was doing what all my friends were doing, and it was basically just writing in English. Jose was a PhD student at the University of Gothenburg when he abandoned that project and decided to focus on his musical career in 2003. His family has been a consistent influence on him, He credits his dad with broadening his approach to language, and now he credits his nuclear family for inspiring him. Jose has earned platinum records in the UK and his Swedish homeland, as well as gold in Australia and New Zealand. Jose's performances fill concert venues across the globe. When not making music or taking care of his daughter, he's busy looking into and thinking about topics like effective altruism secular humanism and eco-modernism, as we will hear, Jose struggles with his inner critic. He is a fascinating man. Welcome, Jose. Jose, thank you so much uh, for joining me. I really appreciate seeing you again. I guess we met a while ago during a concert you did for The Life You Can Save.
0: Yeah, I'm happy to talk to you again. And uh, yeah, I remember when we joined uh, during the pandemic time to, to talk a yeah. bit.
2: <laughs> well, there's different kinds of pandemics now, political pandemics and all kinds of pandemics. But um well, are you in Mendoza? That's what I was told, that you're touring and that you're in Mendoza.
0: Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm playing in uh, Sao Paulo, Buenos Aires, and Santiago. And uh, in between these two weekends, I'm having some time uh, with family and my dad in Mendoza, Argentina.
2: Well, interestingly enough, I was in Mendoza with my daughter several years ago who's a gr- okay. who's a grown woman now with two kids of her own and she was the one who introduced me to your music initially oh, and uh, so it's great. it seemed very appropriate we're in mendoza and my son years before that introduced me to nick drake who i understand mm-hmm. was something of an influencer on you
0: yeah definitely uh, alongside with many latin american artists uh, nick drake was definitely the the one who was uh, part of my sound when I started back in almost 20 years ago.
2: So what you will learn as your children grow up is that they have quite a lot of influence on you. And so uh, I think my kids, uh, Noah and Kayla, have been really influential on my own development. I think hopefully mostly for the positive, um, although sometimes they increase what you might call your inner critic.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll see what my children will do to me. <laughs>
2: Yeah, well, they, we'll talk a little bit about what they've already done later in the interview, but I wanted to ask you to begin. I named this podcast Musing About Ourselves and Other Strangers, and it's a purposely ambiguous title, um, but I was wondering you with your creative mind what you might do with that title, what it might mean to you, Musings About Ourselves and Other Strangers.
0: Musing, it's, it's a word I don't uh, know that well. Uh, so
2: do you know it? So should I try to translate it or sure, explain yeah, what please, it means? Please. Music, <laughs> musing to me is like quietly thinking, something that mm-hmm. I imagine mm-hmm. you do quite a lot. Mm-hmm. And you are you could have images, you could have thoughts, um, but it, it doesn't really mean that it's images and it doesn't really mean that it's thoughts. It's sort of a mixture of those things mm-hmm. and you're mm-hmm. quietly thinking. So that's the yeah, best yeah. I can <laughs> do with musings.
0: Yeah. Well, um... The way that I go around thinking my thoughts (laughs) is uh, most of the time randomly, but uh, once in a while I go into a book or a podcast and and then all of a sudden everything comes into place and and more organized uh, frameworks. But my my personal thoughts can be around my own persona, my friends, and and, uh, all of a sudden think about uh, bigger topics, global topics, and then uh, people on the other side of of the world. (laughs)
2: The phrase other strangers was meant to refer to seeing ourselves sometimes as a stranger. Um, Um, uh, Do you resonate Uh, with that idea at all?
0: Yeah, definitely, Uh, especially since uh, maybe the last 10 or 15 years, I've been trying to figure out uh, who I am, and (laughs) some of the things that I've been doing is uh, meditating and and recognizing that I I don't really know uh, who I am, and I'm different persons in different situations, and um, sometimes I can stumble upon memories of stuff that I've said or stuff that I've done, and feel like uh, I'm not a <laughs> coherent <laughs> person through time. So, so yeah, and and of course I, I get uh, surprised sometimes about my reactions to things, and and uh, so so in many ways I'm I'm a stranger to myself.
2: <laughs> Welcome back to this idea about strangers um, and being a stranger to oneself, or musings, and how it affects what we think about the world around us and our role in the world later in this discussion. But I'd like to get back to your early life, if if that's okay. Sure, um, sure. As I understand it, your parents fled Argentina during the dictatorship in 1976. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. And they went to Brazil and then to Sweden, where you were born a couple of years later.
0: Yeah, exactly.
2: I'd love to hear that story. And, I, and, and maybe you could weave in what I, what I was going to ask at the end, which is, do you think that led to political discussions or discussions in your home about hmm. the world as you were growing up because your parents had been involved in uh, fleeing the dictatorship?
0: Yeah, my parents and my then um, sister that was two years old, they, they fled Argentina. My parents were in, at the university in San Luis. Uh, Studying psychology on my dad's side and biochemistry on my mother's side. And my dad was uh, involved politically in a youth uh, group. Uh, They were young peronistas. (laughs) When the dictatorship uh, took power, they were among the targets. Uh, So they were lucky that they didn't get caught. Uh, Fled through Brazil, as you mentioned, through Rio. And were basically begging for, for food or shelter. Uh, during half a year and, until the Swedish embassy helped them to uh, relocate. And that's where I was born and my brother was born. And um, and yeah, so uh, growing up in Sweden, I grew up, you know, with Spanish at home, Swedish uh, with my friends. But yeah, every time we were eating dinner, the, very often the radio was on with the news from Latin America. And yeah, politics was a huge part of my dad's uh, interest and uh, it was difficult not to (laughs) soak in some of that, uh, of all those uh, thoughts that he he had and and the discussions that he and my mom would have. I think that uh, affected me later in life in terms of Growing up in Sweden and and uh, being a culture that that cares about the world but still uh, lives in in a bubble where things that happen in different parts of the world they don't feel as as real. So so in my sense it, uh, it wasn't that real because I always lived in Sweden but but still I had this uh, yeah once in a while my dad would comment or, or tell a story about some friend that got you know killed or or tortured and and uh, all of a sudden like you realize that, oh yeah they were my my parents were some of the lucky ones. And, uh, but but it, uh, his interest in, in politics wasn't that narrow. It was also about uh, doing good and, and uh, thinking in terms of the poorest people. And, and uh, I mean, one of the reasons they, they got uh, chased by the country was that they were so left-wing. And left-wing, in my mind, uh, many times has to do with trying to figure out how to make the people who had the worst uh, opportunities to, to help them uh, thrive. So so yeah, I I come from a very sort of left-leaning family that that mm-hmm. talked a lot about politics.
2: That's similar to my own upbringing, although my parents didn't suffer in that way. And also, I think the upbringing that my children had. Sometimes their friends would comment. I remember one friend commented that coming to dinner at our house was like being in a social studies class. I don't know if that was that was a positive comment or a negative comment. Yeah,
0: um, yeah. I mean, that's um, that's uh, the feeling that I had at home. And but but I have to be honest that I, I many times I just zoomed out and and was thinking my own thoughts and uh, I cared uh, about skateboards and and uh, and playing bass in the hardcore band and uh, yeah.
2: So I think that's an interesting segue into the, um, we'll get back to the concern about poor people later on in our discussion. But it seems that you're saying you kind of maybe zoned out a little bit and got into your own thoughts. And it seems like your early music, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, is not particularly political or focused on the downtrodden, but is more focused on your inner thoughts and the whole concept of thinking. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah, I mean I've been trying to study myself <laughs> as a as a thinking about my former self as a stranger and uh yeah, I can notice that my first album back in 2003, Veneer, uh, was uh, more about inner struggles, personal thoughts about things that are authentic versus not uh, more more shiny or polished. Uh, those were my interests at the moment when I was writing the lyrics. Uh, actually the last song on on that album uh was uh, some sort of uh like progressive uh revolutionary type of lyric um that i'm I recognize part of that sort of uh left leaning posture that that i had uh is uh, is, is in that album but it's only like one, one final song
2: i don't recall but what were can you just tell us a little bit what the lyrics to that song were
0: Save your day is the name of the song it was um Pretty harsh. Uh, Poke the body with a stick, roll it down. Ignore the moaning as it tumbles to the ground. Be brave and save your day. So it's very revolutionary. I was thinking about uh, sort of uh, cultures and how uh, some cultures uh, uh, have to move on quicker. (laughs) I I can say I I stand for the lyric in in the same sense today, but but, uh, there was a sense of of a revolutionary... (laughs) ambition when I was writing that, uh, that lyric, but it's, uh, but it's, uh-huh. uh, it's a minor part of that album where most of the album is more about, um, inner demons, basically, or, or re- relationship stories also.
1: Pretty
2: early on in your life, you decided to pursue a career in science. I guess that was perhaps your mother's influence, uh, at the time. And you went to get a PhD. Um, what was that experience like and why did you leave The program. A lot of people do. By the way, I just as background, I have a PhD in psychology, and um, I do have some interesting, I hope, interesting questions about that. But how did all of that affect you? Or
0: yeah, so this was before that first album. I was uh, studying at the university in Gothenburg and uh, took my master's in uh, molecular biology, and uh, it was basically following the footsteps of my mom, but uh, also. My dad was, uh, I remember when I had to choose between choosing music as a career or the university, he was really, uh, even though he was the, the musical part of the family, uh, he, he felt strongly that, oh, you should uh, study and, and <laughs> you can still have music on the side. So yeah, both of them influenced me to, to choose molecular biology. And, and then I went to study viruses in a research group. I thought it was super interesting to, to try to figure out how all these small uh, or, or big molecules uh, make us who we are. Uh, so how the interactions between atoms and even electrons make us um, super complex <laughs> organisms that we are that can do what we're doing now, like uh, sharing information with each other and sharing images. So to me, that that's still a super interesting topic. Uh, but uh, when I was in my early 20s, I, I was studying herpes viruses and I was in a cold lab uh, trying to produce uh-huh. uh, proteins, enough proteins to try to figure out the structure and function when they interact with DNA. And, and, uh, but yeah, I, I, I didn't have that many results. Uh, and um, once I released my first um, solo uh, EP, uh, it sort of took off in a way where it was pretty obvious to me and my uh, professor that I, I wasn't going to come back anytime soon.
2: <laughs> in a way, that's kind of a reductive study. You're studying the level of organization at the molecular, cellular level. But, but it seems that you got very interested in the concept of mind, how one thinks about themselves. Um, that became much more a part of your manifest self than the biochemistry or the more reductive approach.
0: When I started touring, I was happy to leave academia. Uh, but then, uh, after two, three years, I I felt like I was missing learning stuff, and and uh, that's when I started to uh, read more and more. Um, and and one of the main topics that interested me was consciousness and and uh, and the mind and how it works and what we know and what we don't know. Uh, and um, yeah, it still feels like one of the most uh, interesting topics in the universe.
2: Well, it's also, um, I, of course, very interesting to me. What I am interested in is how we know our own thoughts and feelings, how we know what we believe and what our values are. And my sense was, as a graduate student and the research I did, was that the best way to derive what you think about what you believe as a person, what your feelings are, is by observing yourself and your behavior in the same way that you would observe somebody else's behavior and then infer from that what your feelings and thoughts are and what your beliefs and values are. So it's looking at yourself in a behavioral sense.
0: Yeah, I'm a fan of all kinds of studies, including the sort of the introspective studies that are limited, but you can still try to approach some sort of objective knowledge about our thoughts and and uh, i think meditation is is a great way to try to figure out what bubbles up (laughs) involuntarily but i'm a fan of many types of of studies and and um, i'm a fan of uh, the ones where you figure out uh, our uh, biases uh, through different uh, smart uh, studies of of students
2: (laughs) do you think that looking at yourself just how you behave is an important way to discover what you're thinking and feeling and what your values are? Um,
0: uh, yeah, uh, although that can be difficult. I, I think that that sounds uh, reasonable. And, um, I have to mention that um, one of the best ways for me to, to make music is to play music and then listen to it in a different moment, in a different setting. And that gives me a view on myself that it's, uh, it surprised me uh, sometimes. Uh, and, and in a similar way, you can... Uh, film yourself while you're doing something, and and all of a sudden you see that oh, I'm I'm having my shoulder up this way, and uh, so so just recording yourself and looking at yourself from different angles, it can really be interesting and, and gives gives you insight to who you are. To be well, uh, good at uh, observing yourself, uh, I think it can be a bit difficult though, like uh, because we are who we are, and and it's difficult to be objective uh, about oneself.
2: I noted that at one point you said that you found that when you smile, it made you happier, which really is at the center of my own research when I was a graduate student. Um, I'm just curious what your experience with the whole idea of changing your behavior and noticing a change in your feelings.
0: I guess I've been becoming more and more aware of, of myself through reading books about psychology about behavior uh, i think many of those findings have been uh, i've been adopting them <laughs> uh, sometimes consciously sometimes uh, subconsciously and yeah just uh, having a um, priming myself is one of the things that i i've been doing like uh, instead of going to news in the morning i i try to do something uh, where i move my body to and and Maybe if I, if I see myself in a mirror, try to smile instead of like, yeah.
2: <laughs> You still notice that when you smile, you do feel better.
0: Yeah. I'm, uh, I think that I feel it. And um, the science suggests that it, it should be something that, that works. Somato <laughs> psychic effects.
2: Uh-huh. Have you ever noticed that you feel like you believe one thing, but you actually do something that really doesn't support that value or that belief? Have you ever looked at yourself in that way?
0: Yeah, definitely. And I would say uh, very, very often I, um, there's a cognitive uh, clash, uh, dissonance between um, perfect version of me and who I actually am. And um, I guess that's one of the things that I feel like uh, I've been trying to reconciliate those two things the last I would say decades to try to be a good person, but but uh, but understand that fallible, um, like most are. I feel like I've, I'm conscious about that uh, imbalance, and and um, I'm actually okay with the imbalance uh, nowadays, <laughs> uh, because I I see a difference between uh, having high ambitions and at least going towards those high ambitions and being a fatalist, where you. Uh, understand that uh, you're fallible and then you're just like relaxed too much and just stay with that fallibility so so and now i i know if if i'm aiming at one direction and i'm at least going towards that direction i'm doing something that i think is better than to be a fatalist that just sits down and and uh, gives up
2: So you're really exploring what might be at the heart of what I'm trying to get at in this general podcast when I interview people, which is how do you deal with the fact that there is often a very big gap between what you believe and how you think you should act in the world to be a good person and the way you actually act, which I think you refer to almost as fatalism versus uh, doing good. Am I understanding you correctly?
0: Maybe I I could use other words, but those are the two that topped up (laughs) uh, as uh, two different uh, extremes. So in my mind, uh, being a good person uh, involves uh, being friendly and nice to people. And and, uh, it could be uh, responding an email in a certain way. It it can be uh, so many things that it becomes daunting if you try to think about all the details
1: you can get
2: overwhelmed with all the ways that one needs to be good versus maybe some natural instincts to be more self-interested. But I'm wondering if this kind of dilemma is one of the things that led you to effective altruism, because I know that you have been interested in effective altruism and you've been supportive of The Life You Can Save, the organization that I co-founded with Peter Singer. How did you get involved in Effective altruism at the beginning and how is it affecting your life or this tension between fatalism on the one hand and doing good on the other hand?
0: Yeah, I I was trying to uh, go through my emails and inbox, try to figure out when I got hooked (laughs) to the ideas. And uh, so one is, um, of course, through Peter Singer. And and, uh, I always looked up whenever he had a new talk or topic that he focused on, I, i followed it, and uh, uh, is it 2009, I think, when the book came out?
2: The book was in uh, 2009, correct? Yeah. And then so, we, so, and the updated book was 2019.
0: Yeah, so so in 2009, I, I got into the ideas and started to process the idea of uh, uh, cost-benefit analysis, and um, and even before that, I saw a TED Talk by uh, economist uh, Bjorn Lomborg that uh, had Similar ideas, but they were more in terms of what types of policies, where we should spend money on a on a sort of more um, country level. But but yeah, I was uh, getting into these type of uh, cost benefit analysis, uh, where where can you get the best uh, bang for the buck? Uh, where can you put your resources if you want to do the most good? You want uh, you can, and um, I remember. Thinking about it a lot, and and I noticed that I gave my first uh, uh, like five hundred dollars <laughs> back in two thousand eleven. Uh, so so it's around that time that that I started thinking about it, and it wasn't until two thousand um, I think fifteen or sixteen when I started to give a bit more substantially, and uh, partly because of a, a, ba- a side project that didn't do as well economically, so I wasn't sure <laughs> I, I could give a a substantial percentage, but but yeah, so so it's been a, a, progr- a process for me to 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 know about the the ideas of of um, w- which is only one part of effective altruism, uh, which is giving to an effective charity, uh, and then for me to to find a percentage that felt uh good, and um, yeah, I get the gave the pledge uh, to give 10 at least 10 percent. Uh, I can't remember which year, but I did that, and, and since then it's been. Uh, what I do. And uh, I've been switching between uh, give well or life you can save or, or giving individually to different organizations. But, but, uh, but yeah, it's been so so uh, process of, of many years now.
2: Hi, I'm Roy Head, the CEO of Development Media International.
0: You're familiar with ads that sell products like shampoo and beer and medications. Well, we make ads too. But our radio and television actually save children's lives. They're scientifically evaluated and they're aired on radio stations in sub-Saharan Africa, encouraging mums to bring their young children and babies suffering from severe diarrhoea or malaria or pneumonia for life-saving treatment in community health centres and hospitals. The Life You Can Save has been instrumental in raising funds to support our work. Please visit thelifeyoucansave.org forward slash musings to find out how to save
2: lives. Do you find that, that by making this pledge of 10% or giving to these highly effective charities, you're helping resolve the dissonance between, what we'll call it fatalism, and yeah. doing good? Is it, is it emotionally satisfying to you? Does it, does it work?
0: Yeah, it, it does. And, and it's uh, in a similar way to when I'm happy to pay taxes. Uh, I live in Sweden. The, the taxes are, are um, pretty high and still you walk on the street and then there might be some homeless person and this is one of the you know richest most prosperous places on earth and still we have structural problems we have uh, people who can't get uh, health care in, in time i know it doesn't solve a problem but it's at least it goes towards solving a problem i feel like it, it helped my cognitive dissonance uh, a bit or quite a lot actually, because it's um, we mentioned that that uh, effective altruism isn't only to give to effective charities it it's also um, you know you can study how the world works and how uh, the, try to figure uh, read about the biggest problems and try to see where there are solutions and where which problems don't have solutions and and uh, for me, effective altruism is also a framework for thinking about the the, the world's biggest problems and, uh, and try to put each problem in a framework, basically, where, where um, uh, in that sense it, it gives clarity to, to the thinking and, and um, becomes more manageable in, in, in my mind. Uh, if you can go to a chart and see, okay, this disease causes this many deaths and all of a sudden you have numbers and, and you have per- uh, proportions. So it, it goes in line with uh, the term factfulness that Hans Rusling or maybe the Ruslings <laughs> coined the idea that, uh, through having a fact based, uh, worldview, you will feel a sense of calm <laughs> because then you won't have as many like bumps into, uh, uh, false beliefs that clash with reality. So in the same sense, I, I think effective altruism is, uh, once you have these, uh, lists basically have, of, of things that are bad things that could get better. Uh, you, you, you get a sense of proportion and and uh, and also a sense of um, that you can actually do stuff in the world that, things that have a uh, a chance to 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 change
2: working at the life you can save has had a similar effect in, on me i feel like other than raising these wonderful children and having this wonderful marriage i haven't really done much for the world even though i when i was young in the university, I expected to be an activist, maybe like your dad. Um, but I didn't really do that. And I found that I've resolved some of this dissonance by being involved in the life you can save and helping the poorest people in the world in a cost-effective, high-impact manner. So I experienced some of the same calm, if you will, for not being a very good person in many ways uh, to help the people that most need it. And you know, my hope is that other people will see this opportunity as well to resolve the dissonance between their values and uh, how they actually live. I'm curious for you, Jose, if this has found its way into your music or whether your effective altruism, if you will, is on one hand and your music is something completely different.
0: It's uh, found its way into the music lately, and I feel like it's been a journey in in trying to figure out something to write about that, for me, feels important. Ever since my first album, I I switched from very introvert to more and more um, outward-looking and looking at the world. So there are songs that um, I'm just trying to write something that, that sounds good like lyrically sounds good uh, uh, maybe just uh, gives a hint to words that that makes you get into a certain mindset but but i have a couple of songs that are more uh, specific uh, and and one of them is uh, every age from my third album which uh, dealt with the idea of a zeitgeist and i was thinking about the global times and on the latest album, I have a song called Visions, which uh, I see as the humanist and the effective altruism uh, anthem in my catalog.
2: Can you share the words of, of that song with the listeners?
0: Visions, trying to make sense of the now, trying to make sense of the past to show us how visions, imagining the worlds that could be shaping a mosaic of fates for all sentient beings. Uh, and the, the lyrics goes on, maybe we can <laughs> have the link to the song. But, but uh, right. uh, I, I just continue uh, repeating the, the word visions and then uh, mentioning stuff like um, that has to do with the growth and decay of nature and how to sort of work with the natural laws that uh, aren't really in our favor.
2: <laughs> so it sounds like you're you're actually extending your view from just thinking about the poorest people to thinking about the climate. And then you mentioned the word sentient beings. And I'm thinking about Peter Singer and his fight for justice of non-human beings and all sentient human beings. Did you read Animal Liberation or has that affected you as well?
0: Yeah, I read Animal Liberation and I was uh, playing hardcore music, being part of the straight edge movement where me and all my friends always had like, yeah, let's uh, stop eating meat. Yes, (laughs) we all became vegetarians and, and vegans for a while but uh, in in our group of friends i i felt like okay i need to read about this and i went to the library and picked up animal liberation and uh, it was a big inspiration as a teenager and uh had uh, my first uh, like uh, intellectual fight with my dad as an argentinian <laughs> meat eater
2: i was going to say it's a big contradiction <laughs> between being argentinian
0: yeah yeah so so we had uh, it was uh, quite funny because he 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 uh, he got upset. So, are you calling me uh, an assassin? <laughs> Assassins are the ones that kill humans. <laughs> I was like, uh, yeah, in sort of a way. <laughs> but yeah, so 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 yeah, animal liberation was a huge inspiration, and and at the same time, like being open about my contradictions uh, as a person and who I want to be. I'm I'm still eating cheese. I'm look forward to the day where where we have uh, cheese without animals. But yeah, so I'm I'm not strict, uh, but but I totally aim towards a world with uh, more and more vegan food.
2: Well, that gets me really to my final question, which is a big question, which, and I understand that a lot of your work on yourself is about resolving the contradictions between fatalism and activism or being a good person. And I think we find when we become active in trying to solve problems in a world in which we feel powerless, we feel a lot better. And I think that what I'm hearing from you is that that is really, continues to be a really healing part of your life and that you're much more at peace with the part of you that isn't necessarily always working to be a better person day in and day out or to give the most to sentient beings or poor people. But the final question I wanted to ask you, Jose, is what does it mean to you to live a moral life?
0: Yeah, it's a big question, and, and it's um, something that uh, I've thought about a lot without working on it too much. <laughs> so I, I think about it more than, than I do. <laughs> so I, I read about the books of moral philosophers, and I, and I sort of take it in. And, and then all of a sudden, I'm, I'm waking up, I, I need to do some exercises so my brain works well. I uh, I cook some food, I take my kids to kindergarten. I answer some emails i rehearse some guitar so uh, to be a moral person um, of all the all the motions that you can do as a person (laughs) it can be daunting to think that every motion has its place and one motion is positive and one is less positive one is negative one is even more negative what i'm trying to say is that uh, to be a moral person is uh, to me uh, it, it started clicking once you start thinking about the uh, cost-benefit and and uh, once you have something that that you can measure all of a sudden you can see that something that you thought was very moral might be unimportant or even negative many people that see themselves as as moral might be part of a movement that uh, i'm thinking about the catholic church uh, Preventing the spreading of condoms in poorer countries. Um, these are might be people that see themselves very moral. So you're
2: talking about liberation theology or
0: Catholicism and, and uh, the way they looked at um,
2: birth control or
0: birth control. Yeah. So what I'm trying to say is that once you start measuring things and study what leads uh, people or, or sentient beings towards. Uh, uh, flourishing and less towards uh, suffering, that's when you can start to figure out what m- makes uh, a better world, what makes uh, more of a more way of, of living. And that's when when you notice that some things might have a huge impact and some don't. And uh, so, for example, the, our psychology makes us uh, feel bad about some things that might not have a big impact on the world at all but still we put a lot of effort in trying to be sort of moral in some sense but but without having a, an impact so i think that's where i try to be one of those that, that tries to read about uh, how our actions uh, make an impact or not in the flourishing of other human beings and and uh, so so just going back to simple things like smiling at another person might <laughs> be uh, a, a way to make that person feel better which is important and and uh but, but knowing that uh, if you smile too much at another person that person will think that you're a psycho and <laughs> will feel anxious so, so it's a very complex uh, world we live in and um and i think that's one of the nice things with effective altruism and is try to focus on the things we know and the things we are getting a, a grip on and and the rest of the things can be just a trial and error and and uh, we all sort of need to lead our lives and some respect that as a, as a trial and error.
2: <laughs> well, I have to say, Jose, that we really appreciate you're doing this interview as one of the hopefully good things and that yes, the life you can save is trying to affect something that we know will be good by promoting these 25 charities that you can find on our website and help donate to and help resolve your own contradictions, if you will which is uh, something that we're all struggling to do, and we're hoping some people will be able to do it this way in part more effectively. But you've given us a lot at The Life You Can Save in terms of your time, and hopefully that helps you feel good and resolves this tension between fatalism and doing good. You've been very helpful, and I really appreciate your taking the time to do this interview. And I hope to continue our relationship uh, as we both uh, try to do good in an effective way.
0: I'm, I'm happy to, to speak to you. And it's always uh, always fun and always interesting. And I'm and, uh, happy, happy to give more time.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of Musings About Ourselves and to Other Strangers subscribe and join us. Our guests have varied experiences, different points of view, and interesting ideas about what it means to live a well-balanced moral life. We hope you'll share this podcast with those close to you. We'd also like to invite you to rate and review this podcast on whatever platform you use. And if you're interested in learning more about The Life You Can Save and the charities we benefit, visit thelifeyoucansave.org slash musings.